standard issue for all women. Hello, Mickey here. Welcome to this Sunday Chops, in which I catch up with fiercely successful business brains, Debbie Wasco and Anna Jones, founders of leading women's network, The Albright. Hands up. I wouldn't consider myself to have any sort of business savvy, but reading Debbie and Anna's book, which is called Believe, Build, Become, got me thinking that I could, one, do with some, two, that wasn't impossible, and three, these two might just have the answers. So you might have already heard of the Albright as a swish women members only club with spaces in Fitzrovia and Mayfair as well as LA, which may draw you in or indeed may put you off. But however you feel about members clubs, that is just one aspect of what the Albright is about. And there is a lot of free information, help and solidarity made available on the website for anyone who wants to get involved, whether that's signing up as a member or getting some solid advice on how to ask your boss for a pay rise. Within this chat, just wait until you hear some of the stats about women in business that Debbie shares. To be honest, I doubt you'll be surprised, which is part and parcel of the frustration of underrepresentation, but it makes even more sense as to why Debbie and Anna are putting their all into trying to change the status quo. And so we chat the power of failure and risk, the benefits of a poor short-term memory, the huge boost women can and indeed need to give other women and how a serendipitous meeting led to the formation of a monster global sisterhood of kick-ass women who have got each other's backs. Hello, you may or may not, and if you're not, you certainly should be, a regular attendee at our live events where we chat to brilliant women about all sorts of everything. There's a lot to be said for having that kind of general chat, but there's also a lot to be said for some focus. And we have got an event that is going to be a TV special because 2019 has been a pretty cracking year for TV in general. But there's been a bumper amount of great stuff created by women in particular. And we want to celebrate this by talking to some very exciting and hardworking women in the TV industry. When are we going to be doing this? We're going to be doing this on November the 10th, which is a Sunday. And where are we going to be doing this? Well, thanks very much for asking. We're going to be doing this at a brand new, exciting theatre in Soho called The Boulevard, which is beautiful. And we would, of course, love you to be there. So, yep, check our website, www.standardissuepodcast.com, for more details about this event and all of our forthcoming live events. I'm joined by Debbie Wasco and Anna Jones, founders of Leading Women's Network, The Albright. Debbie, Anna, hello. Hi. Thanks so much for having me here. It's beautiful thanks do you walk into work every day just grinning and going we made this no (laughs) we do do in the sense that you walk in and you go oh it's beautiful space you see everybody in there having a lovely time but when it's your own business you go oh that plant needs watering or you know there's something that needs cleaning there or you just can't help yourself no, fair enough. I suppose it's, it must feel like your home. It's your yes, baby. It does. We've now got three members clubs for women with enlightened men very welcome in our buildings. Two in London, one in Los Angeles. We're opening in New York and Washington, D.C. next year. And they are genuinely our homes away from home. And we hope that they're homes away from home for our members. But for founders... That comes at the personal cost of endlessly writing a snagging list. And that is what it's like every day, working out of your buildings. I have not noticed any snags. (laughs) Okay, so let's start with a little bit of background on both of you. And I'm going to start with Anna. Tell us a little bit about you. 
Oh, right, where do I start? So do you want to talk about my childhood? No, I, I was, um, I'm a northerner, as you can probably tell from the twang. I was brought up in Yorkshire. I'm the eldest of four girls. Uh-oh, there might be a War of the Roses moment. <laughs> we'll try and tone it down. Um, I was brought up in rural uh, Yorkshire by a feminist Scandinavian mother, and my father became a feminist because he had four girls and I guess I've sort of thought about that a bit more since I've started this business because mm-hmm. you sort of think about your early inspiration and because I was stuck in them down a kind of three mile track in a field in Yorkshire without any access to digital media or you know media you're, you're of like any... a modern day Bronte totally totally that's exactly <laughs> what I said that I was sort of brought up to think there was nothing I couldn't do, you know. I went to the sort of local school and did well through my education and went on to university and studied business. And the whole time I was always just kind of like, yeah, I can do whatever I want to do. Nothing's holding me back. And it wasn't really until I got into the world of work that I then started to see the inequalities Uh between men and women Mm -hmm. and the opportunities that were given to my male colleagues, if you like, and sort of saw a bit of patriarchy at work. And I think that was quite galvanising for me, even from an early age. And I worked, did various roles, started in comms, went into video games, but marketing was sort of my thing. And I ended up working in the media for well, again, various companies, but it was mainly with women because I worked on women's magazines. But, of course, the leadership was nearly always men. Not not always, but most of the boards and most of the senior leadership team, even though, you know, we were talking predominantly to women through the pages of our magazines. Well, it's good to have a man checking that women are saying the right things, right? (laughs) Right, yeah, absolutely. Um, I know, but it's sort of very normal and in a way it's quite interesting looking back and thinking that you know the people who were selling the advertising pages in cosmopolitan were many men yeah and you know the people around the table making the decisions about certainly when i was at hearst we had 77 percent women in the company when i was there when i sort of arrived the board at a board level it was all it was all men all men yeah wow so it was interesting i worked my way up through the ranks from marketing through digital strategy um, then I was the chief operating officer for Hearst because they bought a company that I'd worked for and I'd assumed at that point that I would be cast aside which is often what happens when people big corporates buy smaller companies mm-hmm. but and I thought okay that's it then I'm going to start my entrepreneurial journey because I always had this real sort of entrepreneurial itch to scratch but in actual fact they asked if I would come and be the COO of the newly combined business and so did that for a number of years and then when my boss moved on I became the CEO. The, the interesting thing about that was the business had been in existence for over a hundred years and it never had a woman in charge despite the fact it reached you know one in three women in the UK. So it was interesting for me interesting for the company and probably interesting for the board and probably quite brave of them actually I think they probably felt it was quite brave to to give that role to a woman relatively young woman in the way that men are allowed to fail and try again and women it's very much like if you fail as a woman you fail for all women so I imagine both of you have felt a real wealth of responsibility on shoulders there's a there's a huge responsibility I mean I mean I think for me when I got that role I had 
and I mean, it was amazing. I had so many of the young women that work for us. We have, you know, thousand people emailing me and just saying how excited they were and they could sort of see a path for themselves so that was lovely and you feel you know proud but it is also quite terrifying because you've got that big responsibility on your shoulders and you know actually when I ended up leaving a few people not in the company actually but people sort of in the industry were quite cross with me because I had become sort of emblematic, I suppose. And then I said, but look what I'm going to do. And we'll talk about that, I'm sure, in a moment. But, you know, you can't give me a hard time for that. But it was, uh, it, it was certainly interesting. And I think the first industry board meeting that I turned up to, so that's all of, you know, every magazine publisher sitting around a table. And I was the only woman around the table. It makes you think about things in a different way. I used it as grist, as we might say up north, to think about how I wanted to make a change, not just for myself, but also for supplying and helping more women achieve their potential in their careers. And I I don't, I wouldn't want that to be the case for 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 my you know daughter's generation. So it's certainly something that was galvanising for me, even though it was very difficult at the time. People were looking at me, hoping I was going to pull the tea. Wow, wow. <laughs> Debbie, is it a similar story for you? I know you weren't in the media. You were certainly straight into business. Yes, no, d- different story probably, but, you know, some overlap and, and definitely for us when we sort of get to the bit of the journey that's about us and how we met and what's happened since then, there's so much in common, but there's lots that's different too. So um, I'm also from Yorkshire, not that you would guess it quite as much from my accent <laughs> as my business partners. And I grew up in a different sort of family, a Jewish immigrant family that was very entrepreneurial. Not that it would have deemed itself entrepreneurial, because that's a very grand term. But I had parents and grandparents who ran their own businesses, in particular the women in my family. When you try and reflect on the slightly strange life that you've had and wonder why or how you got there. My mum ran her own business. My grandmother, who died a few years ago in her late 90s, ran a chain of sweet shops and off-licences in Yorkshire. She drove around in her armoured van, uh, depositing <laughs> money at the bank. She never learned how to reverse it, true story. Anyone that's seen me drive will know that some things <laughs> are just born with. And so I suppose in that family, I didn't know anyone who had a job. Nobody in my extended family had a job or worked for somebody else. My father's a lawyer, but he had his own law firm. So it, it was a sort of inevitability or an expectation, I suppose, or just frankly de-risked as an option that you would work for yourself. Yeah. But what was also prized in our family, it was quite sort of bookish and intellectual, I suppose, very driven. We all are in our own sweet ways for whatever reason. I've done the <laughs> therapy on that one. Um, and, and academic excellence was sort of taken as a given. And after university, I went into management consultancy and that was a really interesting experience because I was really not very good at it. And it's the only thing in my life I've not been very good at. Um, and I was easily sort of bottom of the class. And as someone who has always aced it academically, went to Oxford, all the rest of it, it was quite a humbling experience to be bad. I absolutely took from that the fact that that was never going to happen to me again. <laughs> uh, also, even, and I think there's a lesson in even really bad experiences um, teach you about yourself and they teach you some skills that are really important. So one of the things AJ and I have in common is being relentlessly optimistic. (laughs) 
every day is a new dawn and, and also having very short memories which means we can never remember how bad the day before was. And I, but I think taking that experience of a, at a young age of not being very successful in my career in the way that I thought I was going to be was really important. Uh, and I then set up my first business when I was 25, so I'm 45 now, so I've had 20 years of being a very scrappy entrepreneur. I've built and sold three businesses over the last 20 years the last of which was called Love Home Swap, inspired by the movie The Holiday, which I, I sold to... Yeah, I saw Your story, true story. The film story. <laughs> the first slightly average film. Like um, <laughs> you like it more than I do, because yeah. for five years of my life, every time I did a press interview, they showed that sort of piece of coverage. <laughs> Please Cameron Diaz and Cameron Diaz. <laughs> yeah. um, but the story behind Love Home Swap is true, which is... I had two very young children. I was on my way back from a sort of really expensive holiday where I'd sat in a room feeding one and the TV on with the sound off, eating room service, not to wake the other one up. And that wasn't a great experience. And I watched the film The Holiday and thought, does that even exist? Because actually what I would like to have just done is to swap my home in London for a home somewhere else in the world and indeed swap my life for someone else's life. And Love Homeswap was born. Um, I sold it to Wyndham Worldwide, the hotel group, for 53 million just over two years ago. And that was the end of that chapter. Um, but a year before that happened, I went to a party and I was introduced by a mutual friend uh, to my co-founder, now co-founder, Anna. And he said, you two should be friends. And it was a really interesting and, and sort of reflective moment in both of our lives that showcases the serendipity of meeting an awesome woman and how it can change your life. And it did change both of our lives um, to meet each other. And of course, it didn't feel like that at the time. But it was a little bit like, we talk about this, when you sort of pulled at a party and there's the only, <laughs> only one person in the room. Because to meet another female CEO who was going through the stuff that I was going through for better for us, who had kids the same age, who was juggling the juggle, who had all of the same issues. And the thing about being a female leader is we know there are still not enough of us. And the stats on this are universally terrible, whether it's women in leadership positions in corporates, only one in six, whether in my world as an entrepreneur, 2% of capital goes to back a female founder, yet women deliver better returns than men. The British Business Bank statistics from this year show that a penny in the pound goes to back a business co-founded by two women versus 88 pence in the pound backing a business co-founded by two men, right? Oh my goodness. So ladies, we are not at the, not table, at the table, right? We're not even nearly at the table, we're not in the room. So when you meet someone else that, that cares about that, that's going through all that, and frankly, who's as mad as you are, and, and who goes... <laughs> Almost. Oh, yeah, I'm probably <laughs> in a, slightly in a, very lovely a way. bit madder <laughs> than she is. She will countenance. Um, and says, right... We're going to change it. We will. If anyone can do it, we can do it. So what's the business, what's the billion dollar business that we can build that combines purpose with profit, that changes the conversation for women around their careers, that shifts some of these stats that have sat at those percentages for years and mm -hmm. they're not changing? And what is a business that can help to build networks, to build confidence, to build skills, to create homes away from home for women, to create this monster global sisterhood 
of kick-ass women who have got each other's backs because women don't have that women don't have great networks women often suffer from confidence issues women struggle in terms of raising capital women don't invest capital and i suppose that we're crazy enough and bold enough to think that we can build something that will drive that change whilst at the same time being you know a really successful business that the two of us can get out of bed for and the rest or not go to bed for because it's certainly very hard work (laughs) And, and we were inspired by the Madeleine Albright quote that there's a special place in hell for women who don't help other women because at the heart of all of this we think is the sisterhood sisterhood works it does work we know it in our career we live it every day with each other women need to focus on it and get better at it so what started on the back of a cocktail menu over a gin and tonic which is our tipple of choice as project albright became albright the business which we launched two years ago and put another L in the name so Madeline wouldn't sue us for copyright <laughs> identity. And, and that has thinking, become, Debbie, always always thinking. And that has become our crazy journey and our, our global empire that we're building, um, the two of us with this amazing team of, of women here and in the US and soon to be in Asia and Australia and all of the rest of it. We're going to touch on the various limbs of the Albright network uh, in a moment, but I'm really interested in the fact that the backbone of everything that you're doing together is this notion of the sisterhood. Quite often when there aren't many women on the board or in the business having power, they're pitted against each other or they see each other as rivals, but this bringing together and treating each other as mentors and sisters. How have you found the response to this has been from other women? I think the way that we think about it is think about the old boys network. Mm-hmm. So think about what they've been doing for centuries. Men have been doing for centuries that, you know, if you are the CEO of a building company, you're likely to be also known as the CEO of a media company or a scientific company or whatever it may be. You, you, you sort of go cross sector. And I think what our observation was, was that women tend to, I mean, there's lots of generalizations, yeah, but of tend course. to be focused on doing a really good job of the job that they've been asked to do. And when they were not doing that, they're dealing with their, the rest of their life. And so they've got a whole other shift to put in when they get home, if they've got a family. Or even if they haven't, they're probably caring for elderly relatives yep. or their friends yep. or worrying about whose birthday it is on Friday or, you know, constantly have this sort of constant ticker tape. That mental load. Going around in their brains all the time, not thinking in the same way around building their network, getting inspiration from other people, thinking about what then the next... Um, you know step in their career path should be and thinking about their careers in that way and I think you know Debbie mentioned earlier that when we met it was a serendipitous moment that changed our lives and so for us the sisterhood is this thing around can we have organized serendipity so actually can we put women together who would not normally meet each other you know women are amazing usually we we find with their family and friends group they have very tight family and friend groups they quite often have very tight colleague groups they don't tend to know people that are not within their sector, you know, beyond their own swim lane. And so for us, the response, honestly, has been phenomenal. You know, we, we launched the first club last year on International Women's Day. And it's a lovely townhouse in Fitzrovia. It's gorgeous, I've been. <laughs> and, you know, we, we didn't know whether this was going to work or not. We had a hunch that it was. And really, within a few months, we were flooded with members. 
we started realising we were quite literally like, we're going to need a bigger boat here. <laughs> we better start looking. And so we very, after sort of three months, we were already trying to find a bigger building. How did that feel? Exciting. <laughs> <laughs> terrifying, exciting. Not, not terrifying. I mean, we're very, in terms of how we're different and what we have in common, we are pretty fearless we really back ourselves, um, often in a very grimly determined <laughs> fashion, and that's sort of our MO more often than not. <laughs> and um, I think we always feel that we won't fail. And it's really important for women to feel like that more often. Um, that doesn't mean that it won't be an absolute nightmare. And things to go wrong. And things will go day. wrong. Yeah. But we feel that we will get to where we need to get to through the power of grit and determination. And we do. And I think that's really important when you're trying to build a team and a culture and a business, which absolutely has its moments. It's really hard trying to square off all the things we're trying to do. Build a business that's by women for women. We employ 90% women across the globe. It's a global culture that's scaling quickly. It's a startup, which always has its moments because you tend to throw a load of stuff at the wall and see what sticks. And mm -hmm. someone you hire at the beginning might not be the person you need the middle at the end. That's just the nature of the beast. It's, it's really hard, all of this. But I think as leaders, and we totally do have different styles in lots of ways but your team feeling that they know that you will get there in the end even if it's a bumpy ride is is really important mm. it's how you build trust and, and i think just the other point on this sisterhood point is interesting is that what's happened is women who are within our community are changing their lives because of the people they're meeting so you know we often get stopped and told you know we've started a business together or I've just employed so-and-so or we've just been on holiday together or actually I didn't know how to go in and ask for that pay rats but I had a coffee with someone at the Albright they and they helped me you know so it, it it's working it's yeah. really working just touching on the confidence thing I love that in your book which is called believe build become set there's a whole <laughs> section on confidence and I think that's really key because even women who outwardly seem that they've got everything sorted, tend to lack that self-belief. We're not really taught it as little girls in the sure. same way that maybe young boys are taught that they can go off and do anything. Was that a key thing that you wanted to instill in women is the confidence to just give something a shot and see what sure. happens? I think with all of the things and all of the themes that are covered in Believe, Build, Become, we've tried to touch on the stuff that we have experienced in our careers and that the women around us have experienced, whether that's on confidence, whether it's on resilience, whether it's on entrepreneurial spirit, whether it's on how to negotiate. You know, the book is a very practical guide to do these things. The chapter on how to negotiate a pay rise works. We know it works because we have half our team in having read the book successfully negotiating <laughs> That was an unintended consequence. They come and tried it out on you. Of course they did. That's amazing. And you, I bet you were quietly proud of us being a bit annoyed. Anyway, <laughs> it, 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 so confidence matters. We believe that anything can be learned and everything can be practiced. And you know, that's one of the core messages of the book and of what happens at the Albright. There's a belief that everything should be effortless, that we should all be, you know, in the manner of David Cameron and, and Boris Johnson delivering speeches without notes, you know, effortlessly. You know, it isn't like that. For Anna and I, all of our best off-the-cuff remarks are well rehearsed. We game everything from, you know, dresses to delivery. We, we really do. We would never dream of going into 
a big meeting or a difficult situation or a difficult conversation without having really, really rehearsed it. And I don't think women talk about that enough. It's okay to practice. It's okay to say... I've got to work on this. And, yeah. and Anything to know can that, be people are, that people are doing it. Because I think there's this sort of idea that, you know, you look at us, for example, look at us on Instagram, it all looks very sort of perfect. Yeah. As it does for most people, you look at it on this Instagram life. It, it's not real life. Real life is practice, 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 fail, pick yourself up, dust yourself off, get on with it again. And, and you know, grim determination is right, but we mess things up all the time mm-hmm. but we learn quickly and we dust ourselves off quickly and i think it's important to understand that what looks effortless is usually not it's bloody hard work yeah. but you just have to keep at it i think failures obviously it feels awful at the time but it's it's generally quite a positive experience because you come out my mum gave me this tip on relationships when i was much much younger she said mickey you're either gonna you're gonna learn something from every relationship you're gonna learn something you want or something you don't want unfortunately it's probably going to be something you don't want (laughs) but you just got to take that and turn it around and add it to your list yeah and i think it's the same in all walks of our life right yeah totally we have a thousand mini failures every day we really do but it's all about how you deal with it. Mm-hmm. Everything's about how you deal with it, how you learn and how you keep on going and how you cast things aside. You know, be prepared to fail fast and move on. I think that there's a big lesson in there for women about emotional attachment to decision and choices. Hence, our short memories are very useful. We can't remember the thing that we screwed up two weeks ago and how we changed course to do the thing that seemed like it was going to work better and then maybe that thing evolved into something else. And I think even when you look at Albright, which to the outside looks like this you know, overnight success because we're 18 months in, we've got three businesses, we've raised a lot of capital, we're scaling globally, it's in all the papers all of the time. Was it absolutely the case that when we sat down with the cocktail menu and sketched that project Albright, that absolutely what we've executed is 100% what the blueprint was at the beginning? Of course, its DNA is the same, but it's the result of a litany of things that didn't quite work, that nudged the needle in a slightly different direction. And that's life. And I think women accepting that there's no sense of shame in any of that it's absolutely natural to try things and then not work but you have to try them all right it's janet if you like what we do here at standard issue and you want to keep hearing some excellent content made by excellent women yeah us we know you can do so by visiting our patreon page www.patreon.com forward slash standard issue and chucking some dollar our way thanks very much Let's focus on the stuff that you've achieved with the Albright, which is incredible. And like I mentioned earlier, there are so many different limbs to it. Could you talk the listeners through what it is all about? Because obviously there's the academy, there's the network, there's the book, there's the clubs, and a magazine and a podcast. <laughs> That's a bit murky, yeah. uh, okay, I'll try my best. The essence and the heart of it all is helping to grow a monster global sisterhood of smart-minded women and to build their network skills and confidence. And we think that we can do that in two main ways. The first is we can bring women into physical spaces that stand for something above and beyond just bricks and mortar. So like the building we're in at the moment in Mayfair, they're beautiful, they're practically useful for women, they take you from the beginning of the day to the end of their day. You can take a meeting, you can 
have a workout. We run the only strength training, only studio for women in London. You can get your hair and nails done. You can bring your husband, male business partner, significant other into the building. So critical for us is our spaces, our female only members, but enlightened men very welcome in our club at any given time <laughs> so we know that those spaces work we know that women want them in those buildings we can program the kind of events that help to lift women up skill them up and connect them with one another so we run a couple of events in the building every single day that if the thing that you want to work on is meeting women outside of your swim lane or building your confidence or being financially savvy or or feeling comfortable with the outfit that you're wearing on it. There'll be something in the building for you. And all of the art on the walls is by female artists, and the wine behind the bar is from vineyards run by women, and the hand wash in the basins, and, and, and. So we are creating spaces that celebrate women. And um, we are open for membership around the world, and we're opening more of those now because we want to build those out across the globe and, frankly, export the best of British to the rest of the world in terms of having these physical spaces. The next question for us is, that's great if you live in London or Los Angeles or Sydney or Mumbai or wherever I persuade my business partner we're going next. Um, <laughs> but what if you don't? And actually, what if it's not up your street, you wouldn't pay to be a member of a club, but, but you do want in your life as a woman that level of connection, that access to being able to skill up, to work on Project U. What does that look like? And so for that reason, we've got all of Albright online. So that's where Albright connects it, which is our app that helps you to connect with other women, put together profiles, talk about work, whatever is going on in your working life. It's where the Albright Academy sits, which are three completely free courses that we've filled. they're free as well, which is incredible. It's important. And they are for female entrepreneurs or wannabe entrepreneurs, for female executives and for freelancers and consultants. And alongside that is how do you access the world of Albright if you're not here? So you can read our magazine. Obviously, that's what my business partner used to do. So we can't leave that one alone. We publish a magazine once a quarter that, again, is another way for us to showcase amazing female talent. And we wrote a book. I do have to uh, ask when we were doing it, why we were doing it, because it was like the world's worst essay crisis. Um, (laughs) But we wrote our book because, again, it's all about how do we take our career lessons and the career lessons of our sisterhood to the broadest audience possible in a really practical way so yeah inspiring stories are great you know hopefully this is sort of interesting listening to how we've done it but but what women really want to know is fine lovely what do i do now yeah with this particular issue that is is looming Uh, my pay review is coming up what do I do I've got to give a speech in front of 200 people and I'm terrified what do I do so the book is hard work you know we're not gonna lie so when you go through the book you've got to work at the end of every chapter there are worksheets there are because (laughs) we work you have to work do your homework that's the message from us (laughs) and to our children on a daily basis (laughs) is that so that's the reason that it all looks like a lot and it is a lot Because we are driven by an objective of change and we're driven by an objective of scale because often women do not think big enough about their businesses. The mean number of employees that a female-run business has is two, right? We want to build a big business that delivers on its promises to women and that delivers on its promises to shareholders. And we think that those two things are really consistent. Well, I was going to ask you, what is the end goal for the Albright? Do you have one? I think for us, it's about building out this global sisterhood 
you know, it's really important to us to be able to reach internationally. So we are taking the Albright to Hong Kong in November and to Sydney a few days later. And we're looking at, you know, Asia beyond. And I think it's really important because there are, you know, it's galvanising to see women who are like you in other countries. There's clearly a huge appetite for it. Absolutely. I mean, look, every day somebody reaches out to us and says, Can you, could you pop an Albright up in yeah. Venezuela? Or, you know, so, you know, we... Barcelona was yesterday. We quite fancied that. <laughs> yeah. In the summer. Yeah, depends where it is. Sunshine <laughs> over there. Like our beautiful, beautiful club, Melrose Place in West Hollywood. I mean, you know, the sun shines in LA. It so, really does. fabulous. Oh, it's not shining here at the moment, <laughs> is it? It's like the rain it's bouncing off the window. Yeah. What would you like to see happening for women in business over the next, say, decade? I think from, from my perspective, having founded and, and run businesses over the last 20 years, women are not currently able to raise sufficient investment and investors are not backing them. And if I have one message whenever I stand up and talk about, you know, wither feminism or wash about female founders is back women, invest in women, women deliver great returns. And for women, it's think bigger. Um, think bigger about your business and take take a risk. You know, often that is really tricky for women for lots of really practical reasons. And again, we deal with this in the book about how do you start and get started. So much of our journey through Albright is back to this serendipity of our meeting. Women are way more likely to co-found a business than they are to set it up on their own. Really? Much more likely than men, yeah. And so it is about who you meet. It's also about being really sensible about where and when and how you do it because often there are financial consequences to starting your own business, right? You start earning a salary. You generally have to invest some of your own money in doing what you're doing. It might well be that you've got children and you're the primary caregiver or at least you feel that sits with you. How do you... So don't ignore any of that or, or don't think that it doesn't matter it does matter so in the book we talk a lot about how to work through these stages if you feel like you're ready to take the leap so I suppose entrepreneurship and female entrepreneurship and investing in women and more women taking that leap one in ten women in the UK say they want to start their own business but they don't part part of what Albright is about is giving them the confidence and the access to capital to do so and I think it's a similar thing for women in corporates, a lot of it is down to confidence and, in a sense, knowing how to play the game. So there's lots of conversations around authentic leadership and how can I be authentic? You're also asking me to go into this kind of bear pit with all these guys. And you can do both. You just need to know how to play the game and how to navigate it. And again, I think a lot of it can be learned how to find your own voice, how to think about what gives you energy and importantly, think about how to network beyond your own sector. Mm-hmm. You know, so how do you learn what other women are doing and how do you build that network? I think it's really, really important to not just have your head down. Of course, you've got to do a good job. You've also got to tell people you're doing a good job. Because most women do not. Not very good at broadcasting. They just hope that someone spotted it. Really important to claim your successes. um, And also just to get inspiration from others. Because you never know where the next opportunity is going to come. Put your hand up for stuff. You know, don't think someone's going to come and tap you on the shoulder. I've built my career by being seen as a sort of fixer. So when there's a problem, or if there was something that was going wrong, or a department that was a, you know, basket case... 
I'd go, okay, I'll do it. And yes, it's hard work and you can't pretend it's anything other than that. But I just think it's important to, if you want to get ahead, be seen as somebody who is willing. And then you are able. You just need to absolutely believe you're able. When it comes to getting back in, is it sort of 50-50? Obviously, we've talked about women aren't putting themselves forward and that needs to change and have that confidence. But how, how do we encourage people with money to back women? I think there are two lenses to that. The first is that if only 7% of venture capital investors are female and 2% at partner level, there's inevitable gender bias that comes with men holding the checkbooks. Yeah. So we need to encourage more women to invest. We need to encourage more women to become professional investors. It's the last bastion almost of extreme gender disparity in terms of senior positions or indeed any positions within the investment industry. So we need more women to want to do it. We also need more women to invest themselves. Women generally, compared to men, are less willing, able, aware of how to invest capital. They are more risk-averse. I heard a statistic yesterday about the fact that investing in cash ISA products, which will have delivered you a £200 loss if you invested 20 grand in a cash ISA 10 years ago, versus investing in a stock market index tracker that would have delivered you a 20 grand profit. Wow. Right? And, and 95% of people who invest in cash ISIS are women. Are we playing it too safe? Totally. Absolutely. Got to take some risks. Yeah. Got to take some risks because how do you know what your potential could be if you don't? So if I was stood in front of you two and saying, I've got this idea, I think it could work as my own business, what would be the sort of three key pieces of advice that you would chuck my way? <laughs> <laughs> so you need to do your homework. Yeah. You know, I think people often just, they quite fancy being an entrepreneur and they think, I've just got to try and find a business. You've got to do something that you feel passionate about, mm -hmm. something preferably that you know something about. And if you don't, then make sure you do your homework. You have to take the time to do a proper business plan, analyse the space. You then need to think about how are you going to raise capital. Ideally, always try and start a business as scrappily as you can. So, you know, you basically have to beg, borrow and steal to show that there is a market and to show that you have got some traction. And if you've then got some traction, then it's easier to go and have a conversation either with an investor or with the bank or with a bunch of angels or whatever it may be to get more capital to grow that business. But I think it's just important to really do that homework and show you show it works before you go onto a bigger stage and ask people for money. We, we run a pitch day um, for female founders uh, in, in the Albright here in London and also in LA once a month. And we were once told there is no such thing. There just are no good female entrepreneurs out there. Wow. Um, I mean, actually, we've been told it quite a few times. And they tell that to your faces. Oh, That's, yeah. Weird. Oh, yeah. That's weird. And we're like, there absolutely are. And if you want to find them, come into the Albright once a month. But what we have also spent time doing with those entrepreneurs is to help them hone their pitch. Because again, it's really important. Can you explain what you're doing in three minutes? We make people do it in three minutes. So what is the elevator pitch? It's not just about entrepreneurs, that's also about women in business, by the way. It's the mm -hmm. same thing. We do feel like you have to practice so people absolutely dread going to networking events. 
Can you explain what you do? What's the elevator pitch about yourself? If you have that about yourself, you have that about your business, then you're going to feel more confident. Now, I assume there are waiting lists to become a member of the Albright. There are. But we know someone who knows someone. Who... <laughs> <laughs> but the thing that's also, we don't have this proposer model. So, you know, you don't have to know loads of people here to be proposed. You can propose yourself. Yeah. The thing that's very important to us is that we have a very broad sweep of sectors represented. So it's every age, every stage, every sector. So what we didn't want to do was do a club just for women in media or just for women in fintech or whatever it may be. Because actually you could do that, but it's important to us that we have that that breadth. So the main thing we're doing is to just try and curate that. So if there's a bit of a wait for you to get in it's just because actually there are you're a lawyer and we've got absolutely loads of lawyers it doesn't mean to say that you won't get in okay and where can people find out more go to albrightcollective.com so look online at albright collective and there you can see the club but you can also see albright collective the academy and the full suite of all that albright has to offer and also uh, do buy our book uh, which is available in all good bookshops and also on Amazon. Uh, so have a look at Believe, Build, Become. It's very inspiring. It is really inspiring. And for something that is so practical, it's basically a manual. You've made it really engaging. So thank you. Oh, thanks for that. That's great. Yeah. And thank you so much for sharing your expertise and tips and stuff with me. It's been a real pleasure meeting you and talking to you. It's thanks been a for pleasure. Us. Thank you. Standard issue for all women.